and Yong. Welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I'm your host, Darren. Today, I'm joined by two returning guests. First, I have uh, Sarah Homan. Hello, Sarah. Hello. And I have Andrew Schwartz. Hello, Andrew. Hello. And we are covering episode 14, Shock and Awe. Um, it was broadcast on the 7th of March, 2004. Directed by Joe Russo of the Russo Brothers. Written by Jim Vallely. Vallely? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, and it's co-written by Chuck Martin, who also wrote My Mother the Car and the previous episode to this. Um, Chuck Martin also worked on The Ellen Show. The main plot for this episode, as described in my DVD booklet, is... Things get awkward after Michael dates George Michael's ethics teacher, then learns his son has a crush on her. George Sr. receives a visit from Cindy, a fan of his Cage Wisdom tapes. So that is the uh, that is the summary. Very nice. Um, Beautiful summary. <laughs> thank you. And the, the main plots, I would say, you have, uh, as it says in the summary, uh, Michael, George Michael, and uh, Mrs. Bailey. Beth Bailey. Um, that is the main plot. And kind of as a runner to that plot, you have Job with his love interest at first, Shannon, and then Nazgalia, and then <laughs> Mrs. Whitehead. Oh, Nazgalia. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you have kind of Job essentially trying to ruin his brother's life. Um, his love life, that is, in retribution for what happened in the previous um, thirteen episodes, basically, <laughs> to do with to do with Marta, um, and you know, we also have the arrival of Anyang, Anyang, uh, this, this being his first appearance, um, and um, we also have, uh, as I said, Cindy, Cindy Light Balloon, played by Jane Lynch. Um, appears here, and we get a very brief reappearance of Steve Holt. Steve Holt, another person, another person who says his own name. So we have both Anne Young and Steve Holt. Although it should be noted, Steve Holt does not announce himself with his own name. Um, maybe he says his name <laughs> in this. Um, in the background, in some background jokes, we also have the introduction of Shirley Funke. Yeah, I noticed that. That was pretty amazing. It. Yeah, you can only see it in posters, uh, and nobody mentions it in any specific way, but there's a few times where maybe he's standing in a hallway and you can see the poster with Shirley um, Funke, a storyline that will come to fruition when we meet Maggie Liza in a few episodes' time. Um, and I also did want to mention, we, we obviously have Heather Graham as Beth Bailey. Um, quite significant, because I'm... Uh, Heather Graham is not really an actress that you know for doing TV work, I would say. She also what, had she a great... Scrubs around this time? I was going to say, she had a great run on Scrubs as one of JB's love interests. She was really good and really funny on Scrubs, too. But yeah, other, yes. other than those two things, I, yeah, I can't think of much I can't. Yeah, I can't think of anything else she's done, either. I mean, she was only on nine episodes as, as Molly Clark. Most famously... Uh, <laughs> She did actually have her own show, which I can only assume was given to her because of her appearances on um, Arrested Development and Scrubs. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm overlooking her work as Annie Blackburn in Twin Peaks, which was probably the first time I ever saw her. Um, but that was like 1991. That was a substantial time before 15 this. years. But most famously, in 2006, she had her own TV show. Um, which lasted exactly one episode. Uh, Jesus. Called Emily's, called Emily's Reasons Why Not. Oh, uh, I do remember based... seeing previews for that. Oh, Yeah, I never watched it. Which was... <laughs> was this the Fox Network? <laughs> uh, no, it was ABC. Wow. Uh, it was one, one episode. It aired on the 9th of January, 2006. So it was after um, Arrested Development was off the air. Um, and the show was created by um, Emily Kapnick, I believe is how you uh, you say her name. And she created the TV show Suburgatory, and she also created Selfie. Um, Which also didn't last very long. 
Uh, yeah, Selfie lasted a season. Suburgatory lasted three. Uh, both of those on ABC as well. So I guess ABC cancelling Emily's Reasons Why Not after one episode. <laughs> they must have felt guilty somewhere down the line and they eventually gave her a series that lasted more than one episode. Um, it pulled in six million viewers, which is these days would actually be quite a reasonable amount. Six million viewers, you can be the number one show on your network these days. But it was not enough for ABC in 2006. Wow. And uh, they they basically pulled it. Uh, it was based on a novel called Emily's Reasons Why Not, um, which kind of just listed lots of reasons why um, a woman would not date people. Um, so, yeah. Um, I mean, since this... Uh, you know, Heather Graham has done some more TV. She did the uh, whole Flowers in the Attic, Petals on the Wind kind of remake type things, TV things for a lifetime. Um, and most recently, uh, she did um, three episodes of Angie Tribeca this year. Okay, I haven't Angie caught up Tribeca. on that one yet. And she also reunited with Will Arnett for the Netflix show Flaked. Which no one has watched. And I watched the I watched pilot every episode. episode. <laughs> I watched all of it. Why? I, it all. I think I watched I watched four episodes one morning, I watched four episodes the next morning. Why? Yeah, why? Because I, like I, cause I like Will Arnett. So do Was I. I can barely get through the first one. I thought it was awful. I quite liked it. The first <laughs> oh. Episode, well, the first... The first two episodes and the last two episodes were directed by Wally Fister, who's better known as um, cinematographer for Chris Nolan. Also so director of The Tick. Also directed... Transference, whatever that horrible movie was? Transcendence. Oh, Transcendence. Transcendence. Okay. God damn, that movie was awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have Buster, who has been um, out of, uh, of favor with his, with his mother. And he is... He's he's living in the model home. Um, at this particular point, we have the Funkes, and uh, and we have Michael and George Michael, and Buster. Obviously, the whole stuff with um, from the previous episode, uh, where he was in love with Marta and she didn't know how he was, who he was, uh, which is such a great kind of like delivery of when he's like, "That's what it feels like to get punched in the face." Uh-huh. Uh, when when she's like, "I'm sorry, I'm not clear who you are." Um, he's broken up with Lucille too, and he's <laughs> sleeping with Michael. And I love how Michael says, "You're a grown man. You should be living with your mother." Which is <laughs> such a kind of. I also enjoy the uh, night the vision that, right in the beginning. Yes, yeah. They that's the, the to show that Michael and Buster uh, uh, share in a bed. They uh, they go to uh, the green night vision, which is a nice touch. Buster is essentially going to return to his mother's and find An Yong is there. Um. But before that, we get the introduction of the main plot where Michael sees George Michael doing his uh, ethics essay. And what I love about this episode is how everyone acts unethically whilst making jokes about ethics. You know, when they talk, George Michael says that he's you know doing 200 words on the morality of war, whether a preemptive strike is justified. And then Michael goes off and basically kind of gives him an answer. <laughs> and then he says... Um, I don't know why you're not typing this. This it's all good. And George Michael is like, I'm not sure if my ethics teacher would love if I cheated on my essay. <laughs> and Michael, of course, says, "Well, you just passed my ethics test," which is just a clever and way. And he gives him a wink, doesn't he? That... Too. <laughs> yeah, he's just covering for the fact that basically, you know, um, he he wanted George Michael to just write down what he was saying, but and. Um, this is where we find out that George Michael has developed a hopeless crush on his ethics teacher, a woman named Beth Bailey. And this is the first of a little running gag in this episode where uh, Beth is explaining about people getting their hands chopped off and George Michael, seeing her hands, he says... No ring. <laughs> this, is the first of, this is the first of many times that people will see her hand and realise that she's not married. Um, and obviously... You know, George Michael says, try to remember everything she says about me, talking about the uh, the parent-teacher night. Um, to which Michael's like, okay. <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> he doesn't realise the impact of exactly what George Michael wants him to do. Um, and then Lucille, she makes a phone call and she says, I need you to do something about my son. To which Michael, of course, says... I totally agree, Mom. Buster goes home, we flip the mattress, it's never happened. Which is just kind of perfect. A child has been adopted... And the only reason Lucille adopted this child, which she says was to make herself look charitable, 
was because um, Buster would not finish his cottage cheese, <laughs> uh, which we see in, in a kind of angry flashback. Um, which I just love how petty Lucille is that if Buster wouldn't finish his cottage cheese, she adopted a new child. That that was her like thinking on that was. Buster's not going to eat it. I'll just adopt another child. <laughs> well, I also love the visual of you know a grown man sitting at the table with his arms crossed like a three-year-old, you know, refusing to finish his dinner. That was just a great little visual joke right there. And this is where we get the exchange of um, Lucille. You know, she wants social services called, and Michael says he will do that in exchange for Buster being taken back. And um, she says uh, she's not going to take care of Buster because she doesn't have the milk of mother's kindness in her. To which Michael says, That udder's been dry for a while. Now, has it? <laughs> um, and then, of course, Michael gets called by Job, setting up the, the other leg of this main story where, you know, he he wants to try and set Michael up with one of the girls. One of the girls who are fun girls, he says. Um, and he does this while at a shop that is called... Um, National Garb, I believe is where he is. <laughs> Which is the first of many different kind of military jokes within this episode. Not least of which is the title of Shock and Awe, which obviously is a reference to the, uh, the surge in Iraq, which was labelled Shock and Awe. Um... And then obviously, you know, the narrator tells us that uh, uh, Job, <laughs> you know, had found out about Michael and Marta. And we see like the, the brief fight and Job is insisting that he's offering an olive branch. Um, and I love the kind of the flashback to basically earlier in the episode <laughs> where uh, Job says, when was the last time you slept with someone? And we see a flashback to Michael and Buster in bed. And Michael simply ends by going, What time and where? <laughs> it shows how, how quickly he will kind of concede to uh, to Job on this. Poor lonely Michael. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's emphasised that until this point he has only slept with four women. Um, and then by the end of this episode, that number will be up to five. Um, though at the same time, Job, I don't know whatever his number is, but his number is upped by two as well. <laughs> though... Um, you know, only because he keeps tr- attempting to get back at Michael. Um, now, this episode is mostly standalone in terms of the structure of where it is in the season. Um, you know, the the, the whole storyline with Mrs. Bailey kind of starts and finishes in this episode. But it sets up stuff with Saddam, you know, because uh, Miss Bailey is a fan of Saddam. And obviously the whole Iraq thing will play later into the show. My um, favorite is the Saddam cupcake later on. That the kid just swipes to one side when he when when she says she's going out with someone. But like so that it's kind of setting that up. But also there is there is still a kind of like callback to all the stuff with Marta and that storyline, which was basically the main basis for the first kind of thirteen episodes. And the previous episode was set up so that it could be a series finale and a season finale, if the show didn't get picked up for the back nine. So there were a lot of storylines that were kind of tied off. So it's funny that kind of Job is still angry about Marta. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and that will come back in a couple of episodes time as well, where, you know, after he gets married, he, he tells Michael, you know, you had no problem breaking up me and Marta. And so there's kind of still a lingering bitterness for the rest of the season from Job about Marta. Um, but we then also get some um, we get some of uh, Lindsay's kind of storyline in this episode, um, which isn't much of a story, but basically it's her it's it's kind of playing more into the uh, incest themes that have been kind of important in in terms of the show yeah. up to this point. Lindsay talks about George Michael, you know, about Lindsay misunderstands that George Michael wants Miss Bailey as a mother, and. <laughs> and Lindsay, you know, then speaks to George Michael as though that is the intent. And, um, you know, he, she says... Although, I must say I'm a little hurt that you haven't considered me. George Michael says... In your land. 
And Lindsay yeah. says, <laughs> That doesn't matter. Ants can fill that role. Teachers can fill that role. <laughs> and someday yeah. you're going to find the right woman to fill that role. But until then, I'll be right across the hall. And the narrator says, Lindsay had never been more proud of anything she had said in her entire Poor life. Poor Lindsay. <laughs> the one <laughs> yeah, time. She's... The one it's, time she has any kind of maternal instinct, and it's like the creepiest <laughs> thing she can possibly say. And then, of course, after she leaves, George Michael just sits there and goes, "Yikes!" <laughs> <laughs> which is which is something else that will happen with another character later in the series. But yeah, I just think it's funny how she's so completely misunderstood what George Michael is kind of talking about, and so <laughs> she thinks that she's being motherly. Um, and I should just say. Um, Absent from this episode is Tobias, um, and his absence is explained in one of the cutscenes. There's talk of Tobias's trial, and how he... Because obviously in the pilot he lost his license because he performed CPR on a man who was not in need of CPR and broke his sternum. And we find out at the trial that Tobias attempted to demonstrate what he did on um, one of the court bailiffs, I think it is. And he also broke that court bailiff's as well. So he, he obviously demonstrated it far too well. Um, and Tobias's trial, kind of, there were, there were also cutscenes in some other episodes that kind of hinted at um, the trial. And there were a couple of cutscenes in future episodes that will also talk about the trial. Um, so it's weird that kind of something that was, I think the writers must have felt was important to be tied up from the pilot. They just ended up cutting because really it's not that important that Tobias is no longer a doctor, you know, it kind of turned into a one-off joke in the pilot. Yeah. I don't even remember any mention of it in the series. Yeah. None that made it to the final episodes. Cause they were all cut out. That's why (laughs) it was mentioned in the pilot and then never again, but it, it goes to explain why Tobias is absent from this episode. Um, because, you know, he, he's out of state on trial, basically. And I was going to say that uh, Tobias' storyline of being an actor is more interesting than the trial anyway, so I'm kind of glad they cut that out and went more with the, his journey to being an actor. Same that here. More, that was yeah. a lot more entertaining. We also get a scene between maybe and Lindsay, speaking about Lindsay and her, her parental instincts, <laughs> maybe tries to explain that, you know, ignore what the teachers are saying at the parent-teacher conference. It's not important. They're just liars, you know, those who can't teach. She basically is trying to set her mother up to kind of ignore what the teachers say, but her mother isn't even aware that there is a parent-teacher conference (laughs) because she didn't RSVP. Um, And then maybe upon kind of realising this, it's like, can I have back that world's best mother card that I gave you? And (laughs) he says, oh, I don't keep those. (laughs) <laughs> it's such a great kind of summation of how terrible she is at kind of uh, being a mother. Um, you know, just kind of summed up very quickly. And there are a couple of other cutscenes, but we'll talk about them when we kind of get to them in the story. Michael goes to his date at the Klimpies Express with Job, um, <laughs> showing showing that Job doesn't really want to spend much time on this particular date. And Job introduces Michael to Shannon. <laughs> I love Michael's reaction because he's like... Girl indeed, young girl. <laughs> young, young, young girl. <laughs> and I love that Job is like... Well, yeah, well, she's 18, so... Like... And I just love that Job has kind of already justified this in his head. And then he tries to um, introduce Najgalia, but he kind of stops halfway through. And then, you know, Michael, as he turns around, he goes... Hello, Michael. God. And he turns his hello into an oh my god, which is the way Jason Bateman plays it is quite funny. And as said before, this is this is uh, Iqbal Theber playing Nazgalia. Obviously, the the emphasis here is that he is meant to be an ugly woman, and uh, you know Job is still getting his revenge. And uh, the narrator even says it was clear that Job wasn't offering an olive branch at all, but still harboring some resentment over Marta. And then, of course, this is where Job says the whole milk mustache thing, where he says, oh, <laughs> Nagarmat, you've got a mustache. Hey, I mean, you've got milk on your mustache. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you've got a milk mustache. And, of course, Michael says, Yeah, it's, 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 it's adorable. You, you look like one of those got milk models. Which is where Job then decides to <laughs> kind of um, 
expresses interest in Najgalia by saying it's be you know. It, well, yes, you know, it's beyond adorable and, and exotic. I find you very attractive. To which Michael Najgalia and Shannon all say, "Really? You know, I just I just love how quickly Job kind of turns on Michael, <laughs> like." He's already kind of angry. He's already setting up this date, knowing, you know, uh, what's going to be going on with Najgalia. And then he, as soon as he sees any hint of Michael being interested, he he kind of starts already plotting a kind of revenge. And this is kind of the start of him. There's two jokes that they do with Job throughout this episode, which is with, first with Najgalia and later with Mrs. Whitehead, which is. He will announce to Michael what he's done with them, and then he'll immediately get a phone call, and he won't recognise who the caller is. <laughs> I love that. And too. Will Arnett's Will Arnett's here's a teeth like a teeth sticking in like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when he answers and realises who it is. But yeah, he like it, it's it's like really kind of like fun the way he does it. The two thing two things I appreciated about this scene was I appreciate that. They got an actor to play a woman as opposed to just shaming some poor actress and making, you know, everybody think she's so unattractive. I thought that added a nice little layer to it. And I also appreciate that Michael, for all the horrible stuff he does later and blaming Job for sleeping in this barely and not wanting to tell George Michael, he's genuinely trying to be a good guy in this scene and trying to, you know, be nice to Nashville even though he doesn't find her attractive. You know, he's trying to not be the jerk that Job is being. So I appreciate that we get some good Michael in this episode, and then later on we get some very, very bad Michael too. Yeah, he's trying to be like a normal person and be the situation like, oh, you know, I'll treat them like a human being like they are. I'm not a monster. Right, <laughs> where Job is just a monster. <laughs> and we also get the start here of a, a tiny storyline involving Cindy Lightballoon, played by Jane Lynch, fellow Glee actor to Iqbal Theba. She, uh, she visits George Sr., saying she studied his teachings and she's also lost four pounds on the Bluth Banana Jail Bars, which I love that George Bluth is still mining bananas as a source of income, even <laughs> when he's in prison. There's always money in bananas. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a it's such a weird thing, you know, that he uh, that he does. And there's kind of not really that much to that story. It's just kind of a, you know a couple of scenes. And then Michael goes to the parent teacher night where he meets Lindsay, and she asks about you know uh, the ethics teacher because Lindsay has already met her. This is where Michael says. Uh, Thanks, but no, Lindsay. I've already been set up once by a sibling, and I don't think you people know my type. Of course, the, the whole type thing will become a running joke in this episode, but also in other episodes where people are, you know, will occasionally say, well, they've got a type. <laughs> and uh, that kind of starts with this little bit here. But we get a kind of, we get a repeat of the George Michael gag when Michael sees uh, Miss Bailey, and she's the ethics teacher, and she says, My goal is to teach your children about the preciousness of life that can be lost by the mindless pulling of a trigger. And as she says that, Michael goes, Oh, no ring. <laughs> and uh, I just love that. And next is, like, the once they actually meet, like, in the, in the kind <laughs> of after the act break, this whole thing where Michael and... Mrs. Bailey laugh over dead people is possibly one of my favorite things in the whole series because the whole timing of it has to be perfect for the joke to work. And I just love how Heather Graham and Jason Bateman kind of play <laughs> it too. where <laughs> they, they say things that are terrible, start laughing, and then ask each other, Why are you laughing? and then they realize that they were laughing at something terrible. Um, and you know, it, it starts with. with with Miss Bailey saying, you know, they threw me at this class. And then the girl they keep doing. And we'll find out later on in the episodes why Mr. Daniels had a stroke. Um, and Michael just kind of like says, I had him, Mr. Daniels. How is he? And they kind of start laughing about it. And she goes, oh, you know, he had a stroke. <laughs> and he goes, I thought you were joking. <laughs> and the, it, I just love the kind of timing of it all where, you know, it's not a thing to laugh about, but, but they kind of do it. Um, you know, and then... You know, when Michael asks about the ethics of taking her for a drink, she says, do you have a wife? And he says, yes, but she's dead. And they start laughing again. And then she says, have you ever been married? And he goes, yeah, she died. 
And it's just so perfect because both times they start laughing at terrible things and then... His delivery of that line is so great. And then, of course, uh, they go and get a joke. And there's a weird thing that Michael starts doing where he starts kind of going, ah, whenever they're talking and then kind of uh, combining that with... Uh, you know, when as they're leaving, they both start saying "ugh" all the time. Very funny. I love yeah. I love their girls. I guess I think of all of Michael's girlfriends. I mean, Marta, Jesse. I think Miss Barely is the one that I wish he had ended up with the most. Do you guys have a favorite of Michael's girlfriends? I think she is definitely my favorite. She's probably in my top three. So she has like the Marvel name, but also because she, it's it's barely possible for her to be George Michael's. Uh, love interest. I also think it's going along with their theme of, you know, you have Maybe, later on you have Shirley, now you have Barely. I think it's kind of going with that theme too. Yeah, and anyone that George Michael has any affection for has one of these weird names. I do like that that with Cin- when we go back to Cindy and uh, George, um, <laughs> Cindy has been trying to get George to talk um, because obviously she's really an undercover agent. Um, uh, by apparently telling him about stuff that went on in the lady's shower in a college dorm. <laughs> um, which I think is quite a funny tactic to uh, get George Sr. to confess. But obviously he, he won't confess. Um, and then uh, Michael, you know, he's on his way to his second date with Beth. And um, Lucille calls and says, A little Korean is here and I don't know what to do with him. At least I think it's a him. You've got to strip them down to next to nothing before you can even tell <laughs> Which is such a terrible thing to say. And of course, Michael is like, I've just spoken to social services, uh, although they don't like to do this, if you can prove it's a bad environment for the child. And I would suggest saying what you just said to me. Don't change a word. They will take him back. Um, and then, of course, Lucille yells at Anyong for um, taking his shoes off. And she says, he's out of control. And then this is when Buster makes his return to Lucille and to Balboa Towers. And, um, you know, he says, I'm gone for a couple of days and you find a new son. And I like how <laughs> Lucille keeps Anyong solely to annoy uh, Buster, which I think speaks volumes about their relationship. Yeah, it's this constant push-pull where she pushes him away and then when he leaves, she pulls him back. It, yeah, they through the whole series, they have this great you know, push-pull interplay going on. I love it. And I love how she says, Anyong is your brother now. And Anyong, of course, says... Anyong. And Lucille... Yes, Anyong. Anyong. <laughs> and this is, this is the start of people gradually getting more and more annoyed with Anyong just saying the word Anyong. Um... The first person to do that will be Buster later on in this episode. Uh, but later on, Joe will break, you know, kind of get really angry and shout at him because he keeps saying <laughs> it over and over again, uh, which is a fun moment. Um, and then, of course, you know, Beth thinks that, that Michael was making dinner reservations and he says, that was my mom. She just had a little Korean dropped off. And... Beth goes, Ooh, that sounds good, let's have that. And I just love how... <laughs> That's like one of the best wordplays on the show. I love it so much. I Just I just the, the use of the words a little Korean. It's just so great. And of course it gives us one of the, one of my favourite kind of um, like subtitle gags, which is when Michael and Beth go into the Korean restaurant, um, you know, Michael says hello and everyone else in the restaurant says Anyong. And as each of them speak, the word Anyong appears as a subtitle <laughs> next to them. Which, which I, which I kind of love. Uh, that's something that will happen later on with Anyong when he's in a banana stand and we're we're far away from it, and he says Anyong, and you see the the uh, the subtitle just follows him wherever he is. <laughs> uh, Michael and Beth uh, take the stairs, that is the stair car, to sneak in to uh, Michael's room. But Michael, you know, as they're walking up the stairs, they are tremendously loud. And Michael says, this may not have been my best idea, uh, which I which I like. It's kind of like even trying to sneak around, he sort of gets half kind of caught. Um, and when we, we get to the, the next morning, um, Nazgalia is leaving and she apologizes to Michael. And Job says, I'm sorry to Michael, but it looks like we're even. Uh, sorry, you took something I liked. I took something you liked. And then, of course, we get one of the famous bleeps where he says, Yeah, I f***ing Nazbaker last him. And he doesn't even get the name right. He just kind of 
says a whole kind of load of words. And it's so funny because, you know, obviously um, Michael was just being, you know, like treating Nashgaria like a normal person. But, you know, Job kind of, you know, gets kind of angry. And then this is where he tries to figure out um, who Michael is interested in. Um, and Michael obviously won't say. Job is not a great detective. He would just have to go upstairs to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, like, obviously he, he pretends that everything's fine. And then he says, when I sleep with her, because I'm going to sleep with her. <laughs> yeah, I was lying just then when I said I wasn't going to sleep with her. Like, I love how he's explaining his motivations three seconds after he he's kind of just lied about it. And then, you know, we get the, the phone gag where uh, Job looks at his phone and he says, Who's in Van Aden? Hello. <laughs> and he answers it and realizes that he's talking to Nash Gallia, who, you know, he insists knew it was a one-time thing. And this is where we see George Michael. And this is actually the, one of the cutscenes would have preceded this, I guess, which is where George Michael's making a um, making a collage of Saddam Hussein, and maybe said to him, "Well, I think is it? Does she say I'd I'd like some like Hitler pottery done or something?" Um, she basically just like names another dictator and another kind of form of art that she throws together. Um, and then as she leaves, George Michael says, I am so over you, which I think is f kind of funny because, I mean, that kind of was already how it was in the previous episode. Um, uh, though in the previous episode, he also had kind of found out from Lucille about, you know, the whole artificial insemination thing. And yet he cho chose not to tell um, maybe because he wanted her to kind of be part of the family. Um, so it's kind of, I understand why they cut this part out because him kind of stating that he's over maybe was kind of maybe a, a little bit heavy handed um, in this episode. Uh, yeah, I don't think it needed it. Yeah. I think it's a good call. That'd be unnecessary. Yeah, we get it from his interest in, in Miss Bailey. And um, he says, you know, she loves Saddam Hussein. And Michael says, I'm sure she doesn't love Saddam. I'm sure she's just interested in him as a subject. <laughs> and George Michael's like, that's what I meant. <laughs> and, and and that, of course, sets up a joke in this later in the scene where uh, George Michael confesses his love. And he says, you mean you love her like she, like she loves Saddam, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think that's that's kind of funny because, you know, he has to explain that now he loves her, love her. Um, and then this is when um, Miss Bailey exits and, um, you know, pretends that she was looking at the model home. Very badly um, pretends. <laughs> yeah. That was not convincing at all. And the narrator tells us that Michael knew he had an ethical responsibility to tell his son the truth. And so he says, yes, your Uncle Job slept with <laughs> <laughs> You know, ethically, not a good thing. Um, but yeah... Um, now, I don't know if the cutscene with Michael and Lindsay would have come before this next bit or after this next bit, or I feel like it would have been somewhere around here because, um, you know, we get a, we get a bit of Michael and Lindsay in the patio, like back garden area, and he tells Lindsay that, you know, he, he didn't want Miss Bailey as a mother, he wanted her for, you know, himself. And we then see Lindsay attempting to kind of break down the door and say that, you know, she's there for George Michael, um, which he's taken as some kind of sexual come on. Um, and obviously Lindsay then finishes the scene by saying, I have to go comfort him. Oh, um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. The show does love to pile on the whole incest thing. Uh, so I think it's kind of best that they kind of cut that out there because, you know, as viewers, we already know what George Michael's intentions were and the Lindsay stuff's funny, but, we really didn't need, like, essentially what would have been, like, a third scene, kind of doing that that same kind of gag. Yeah, it would have been a little overkill. I was going to say, I think you're getting to it. See, at the end of this scene, that's where we get the setup for Iraq, right? Where Michael says that's our exact fire pit, when you look at the poster? Or is that later? Yeah, no, no, this is that. that is the very end of this scene. But before that, we get the great thing of George Michael talking about how, um, you know... Well, first of all, he puzzles why Job slept with his ethics teacher. And um, Michael says, you know, he's not exact of a target shooter. And just <laughs> raise it everywhere. Uh, that's, that's such a dirty line. <laughs> so gross. Oh. I'm surprised they got away with that uh, one. 
he kind of says, you know, she's kind of old for you. And George Michael's like, no one knows. We don't even know how old she is. No one does. <laughs> and then he talk about, you know, her chaperoning the, the diversity dance. And he said... Go up to her and be like, oh, hey, do you want to dance? And she'd be like, eh, what the heck, right? Or something. I don't know. I did it differently in the mirror. but So obviously George Michael is practicing kind of asking her at the dance. And it's probably one of the favorite things of mine, like in the rewatch of this, because obviously... That's basically how the episode will end, is with a student asking her to dance. And George Michael would be very annoyed that it would have worked, basically. And then, obviously, Michael, once again, we get a, a tiny bit of the uh, the kind of the, the, the maybe George Michael storyline where Michael says, don't you think you should take someone your own age to the dance, like your cousin? And then he says, bad example. <laughs> well, there's like a little pause in between he says that, too. Where Michael, George Michael just kind of thinking, yeah. like, wait, what? Yeah, he has his little hopeful look <laughs> on his face, like, wait, that'd be okay? <laughs> I can do that? And we find out here that George Michael defaced a rare book to get a picture of Saddam Hussein in a bathing suit, which is uh, a horrific thought for what that image would actually look like. I would, and he's put it in the collage, which is called What Would Saddam Do? I would like <laughs> to know what Michael... book has a picture of Saddam in a bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A rare one, apparently. <laughs> Dictators of swimsuits. Dictators and swimsuit. Dictators yeah. and swimsuit edition. It, it's funny because Saddam Hussein, he was well known for having written hundreds of romance novels under an alias um, that were really popular in Iraq because he forced everyone to buy them. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe maybe there was a picture of him in a, in a, a, a bathing suit, like Fabio, one of those or something. Yeah, like a Fabio cover. <laughs> yeah. I would be afraid not to buy it. Well, I love how when Michael says, what would Saddam do? He's reading it out, but it sounds like he's asking George Michael to think like in that kind of mindset. <laughs> so George Michael says, uh, you're right, Job's going to pay. And I, I just kind of love how he, he, you know, George Michael gets angry because he thinks his dad is asking him to think like Saddam Hussein, which is such a kind of weird... Uh, thing to do and then that is where michael says okay that is our exact outdoor fire pit that is kind of the first hint at what will be a major storyline in parts it's pretty crazy how early the seeds are being set well because this is the back nine um i think they also had their renewal quite soon after this so i think they kind of knew they'd be able to pay this off in some way uh, but yeah they waited like until really deep into the third season before they fully paid this off but it would also, um, even if they know, never got that far, it works perfectly as a standalone joke. It could just be a throwaway gag. Yeah, exactly. It didn't have to go anywhere, so it's beautiful. It works so perfectly on both the levels. This is where we find out that um, Cindy Light Balloon is in fact a uh, undercover agent, and the the uh, the agents are setting up cameras um, around the area where her nipples will be, <laughs> um, as if as if as if they are two erect nipples, which seems like an odd placing for them but you know i guess that's their choice um i just love how he says so i just love how bored she looks while they're sitting there like fondling her breast <laughs> she just has a completely bored expression i'm so i'm surprised how explicit this is for network television <laughs> yeah well later it gets even more explicit <laughs> it's funny because you know um this undercover stuff, it's never quite clear who she's undercover for. It's just said as, like, government. The dog washers, obviously. Um, <laughs> which I have to feel is a little bit of a shout-out to uh, Best in Show, uh, which obviously uh, Jane Lynch was in, um, along with, you know, former guest John Michael Higgins and upcoming guest... Um, he plays Gilligan, and I can't remember the name of the actor. Oh, yeah, I can't think uh, of his Michael name. Hitchcock. Michael Hitchcock. He's so great. this is like, you know, one of the times where we get to, we also get blend in, which is the whenever the government are undercover, their cars are always identified by blend in as the company name. <laughs> I guess they're attempting to blend in. Um, but yeah, at this point, George Michael and maybe get to meet their new uncle, uh, which is An Young. Uh, maybe says that Job is, you know, dating Shannon. And um, this is where we find out that maybe uh, was looking for someone shocking to take to the diversity dance. And she called Mr. Daniels, but he got all out of breath and dropped the phone. <laughs> so 
maybe essentially is the one who is responsible for Mrs. Burley being at the school as a substitute teacher. So, which of course kind of ties in with George Michael um, having kind of uh, essentially, even though he's over, maybe maybe has kind of given him his next lust, um, and then <laughs> we get a repetition from George Michael of what his father said, where he says, maybe we should go together. And then he says, uh, I mean, that's a bad example. And then we meet Anyong, and this is my favourite kind of thing where people get annoyed at Anyong, where Buster says hello, and Anyong obviously says Anyong. And Buster goes, Yes, Anyong. Your name's Anyong. We all know you're Anyong. Anyong, Anyong, Anyong. And then maybe goes, who's this? <laughs> Buster goes, oh, I'm sorry. This is Anyong. <laughs> And it, the timing of Tony Hale on that is just so perfect, where he's getting so wound up and angry over Anyong, and then maybe he's like, who are you talking about? Um, and then I love the way that Buster says, my mum bought him. He's make, she's making me register him for school. He's my new little brother. Um, and then obviously maybe asks him to go to the dance. And George Michael, of course, wonders off saying, Great, another uncle to compete with. Uh, which obviously you shouldn't be competing with your uncles romantically. That shouldn't be a thing that should be going on. Uh, but I guess in the Bluth family, it's to be expected. Um, and then, you know, um, possibly my favourite thing that Heather Graham does in this episode is how she is so happy about being with Michael, but she's given a lecture that has to be that's about atrocities, <laughs> and she's like being held against your will purely on the basis of political or religious beliefs, and she's kind of laughing halfway through it, and then she says, "I met someone," and that's where we see the Saddam cupcake that kind of gets tossed to one side, um, and then she keeps talking about this is a, this is serious, uh, no more smiling, um, and then we see Michael. Um, here to talk about George Michael. And Miss Bailey says, George Michael's not in there. Those are the dumb kids, <laughs> which I just love. How kind of inappropriate she's kind of been. Um, and then she sees the collage and says, I love Hussein. <laughs> Michael <laughs> says, you mean you're interested in him? And she says, oh yeah, he's a monster. And then she's like, wow, where did you find this picture of him in the Speedo? <laughs> and then, of course, uh, this is where Michael says... Um, I don't think I continue to see you. I mean, I've enjoyed my time with you. You wanted to talk ethics. And of course, they're kind of laughing. And then she goes, you really mean it? This is one, one of my my wife joke type, my wife died jokes. Um, which I just kind of love. And, you know, this is where she says, you know, um, he knows we're going out. He saw me this morning. And Michael says, no, I told him that you'd slept with my brother. And then, of course, she says... That may be the most unethical thing I've ever heard. And Michael counters with... Oh, you've only been doing this half a semester. A semester. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, and then he talks about it being a preemptive strike and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I I just kind of love it. And then, um, obviously, when the bell goes off, he hides in the classroom for a couple of seconds um, after saying, you know, you'll not, you'll never see me again. And then he, he, he goes, starting right now. Um, but, uh, yeah... I I just kind of love the the way that they laugh over inappropriate things. It's like such a it's such a funny kind of bit, and they kind of latch onto it so quickly, and then they kind of they time all of the kind of laughter so perfectly for what would be very inappropriate things to laugh over. Um, but I like that even by this point they they kind of are already referring to it as my wife died jokes, which they aren't jokes at all. That is not a genre of joke. And then uh, Cindy Lightballoon uh, finds herself um, <laughs> with George Michael talking about the Talmud, and then he starts tweaking <laughs> the nipples. George Senior, sorry, yes. George Senior starts talking about the Talmud while he's at the the chain link fence, and he starts tweaking Cindy's nipples. <laughs> and um, this this leads the agents to think that they've been caught. And I love how their their abort code is clean the dog. They're cleaning the dog, and they throw this kind of like stuffed dog out and start washing it vigorously. It's really <laughs> as weird. As if that wouldn't be suspicious. I'm trying to figure but out what the I objective just... is that supposed to be. Are like, they washing the dog so that 
people who are around think that they're dog washers and, like, they're trying to blend in? Or it's, like, yeah, the dog signaling Cindy Light Balloon to, like, get out of there? I can't figure out what I think it's to make it seem like they're the dog, dog washers. Uh, but also, it's a signal. It's a signal for her to abort. So it's both. Like, if she sees them washing the dog. Yeah. But it also does kind of play into, you know, making them um, think that, uh, yeah, that they are actually dog washers. And then we get to the diversity dance, um, which sees a number of people wandering around. What ex- um, well, sorry, what exactly is a diversity dance? Yeah. They keep referring to that like it's a thing. In my, like, what is exactly a diversity dance? I, I'm not sure, but when Maybe arrives after being dropped off with Anyong by Lucille, Steve Holt says students only, and Maybe says, oh, so you're not letting him because he doesn't share your perfectly shaped nose, your round eye-shaped eyes, your, your strong square jaw, and Steve Holt says, thanks, you want to dance? <laughs> Maybe goes, yeah, and instantly abandons Anyong. Um, and as she goes off to dance, she of course yells, "Steve Holt!" Steve Holt! But yeah, I'm no, I'm no clearer on what the diversity dance is because you would have thought having An Young there would have been a plus point, but evidently <laughs> it isn't. Well, I think the joke is that he's not um, a student yet. Yeah, Job is looking for Shannon, wandering around the dance floor, yelling "Shannon," um, and <laughs> he recognizes Lisa. <laughs> so there's a suggestion that he has slept with more than one. Uh, cheerleader. Oh, dope, um, you're so gross. And then at the same time, Michael is searching for Beth, um, and, you know, he, he says he's going to do the right thing, to which she says you're going to tell George Michael the truth, and he goes, oh, that's your definition of the right thing. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes off searching for George Michael. Uh, at the same time, George Michael is wandering around yelling, Uncle Job. <laughs> so, everyone is yelling for someone else as they wander around this what seems to be quite a large dance. This is a huge auditorium. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then obviously, uh, George. Mi- I love Job's greeting when he says, George Michael, what are you doing at a high school dance? Because <laughs> he's on out of place. You know, he's, in, he's in high school. And Job says, I just came here with my girl. And Michael sa- George Michael says, my ethics teacher. And this is when Michael finds them. Um, and then, you know... Uh, George George Michael, you know, he, he's accusing Job. Michael admits that it was him. And then Job thinks that he's t- taken a bullet for him. And then, of course, uh, Job confesses that... Mrs. Whitehead. <laughs> the narrator tells us, in fact, Job mistook the civics teacher for the ethics teacher Michael was dating. And this is where we see Job say, man, he has a type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, both times Joe has misinterpreted who Michael was actually interested in. Uh, so I think that's just like quite a funny call out. And then obviously, you know, Shannon hears about this and she says, two strikes, you're out. It doesn't completely make sense, but, um, you know, I would think three strikes. But in this particular case, I don't think you'd even want one strike. Um, and then Job kind of tries to plead that it was a one-time thing. And once again, he does the phone gag where he says, I'm not even going to hear from again. And his phone rings and he says, Ah! Who's Edna W? Hello? Oh! <laughs> I love how he keeps storing people's names in his phone with the wrong part of the name. Um, so that he, he doesn't figure out, so he can't figure out who it is. And I love how um, Edna's the perfect name for her because even without the W, you just know <laughs> when he says, Who's Edna? If it's all you needed, you'd be like, Oh, that's clearly Mrs. Whitehead. So, yeah. Because you never heard her first name before, yeah. so that was perfect. Good selection of a first yeah. name. <laughs> and then, of course, this is where Michael kind of confesses, um, and then he finds out that, you know, Aunt Lindsay saying about, you know, that George Michael thinks that Aunt Lindsay said that that he liked her, and then, you know, about the whole confusion about being a mother. And obviously this is where Beth sees this kind of conversation, and he's like... Uh, you know, she's like, I'm not really into kids. <laughs> so, and Michael's like, I'm trying not to rush it. And this is where Jeremy steps in and says, the lady said no. And then obviously, um, you know, she takes the cupcake from Jeremy and he's like, Hey, uh, you want to dance? Sure, why not? And then George Michael is angry that... I can't believe that would have worked. And I just kind of, I love how George Michael's kind of weird practicing in front of the mirror like asking his teacher to dance thing 
pays off with some other kid kind of just throwing it out there at the very end, kind of unrehearsed. Um, though I'm sure Jeremy, he went to the trouble of making Sam saying cupcakes. He probably has practiced asking her out at the dance a couple of times as well. <laughs> yeah, his delivery of the, hey, do you want to dance, looked pretty rehearsed. <laughs> and he was like so shocked when it worked, like, oh my god, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get the end where, um, on the next Arrested Development, Buster's competition heats up, we're told. And um, Anyong has a candle, and obviously Buster, you know, says mom would freak and Lucille you know obviously wanting to wind Buster up even further says you pray how you want and Buster lights a candle and then we see him quickly exit a room that seems to be on fire (laughs) and then grab a fire extinguisher and walk back in and that's where the episode ends and it's it's such a kind of funny kind of visual joke to kind of end on Uh, and I love how unconcerned Lucille is by the kind of the fire alarm beeping and everything um, and how calm Buster so yeah, is trying to be. Episode. Yeah. He's trying to act all <laughs> casual as he goes to get the fire extinguisher. So, is there anything else that you think we need to discuss? Um, well, I, I like the ending with Miss Barely, you know, just not being that into kids. And I kind of understand where she's coming from. I mean, she just overheard Michael saying that she thinks that he thinks that she would be a good, you know, mother to George Michael. And that's kind of an intense thing to say after one date. So, Michael, even though he's saying he's trying to take it slow, it's coming on pretty strong. As usual. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of an all-or-nothing type guy. Is there anything else we need to talk about for this episode, Andrew? I don't think so. I think we covered it. Close the book. I would like to say that, um, obviously, Heather Graham says about people getting their hand chopped off. And um, one of the Bluth children will get their hand chopped off. Oh, right, in yeah. Interesting. So that's kind of like... Yeah, it's kind of like a little hint towards that. Um, tied in with the whole kind of light treason thing <laughs> as well, uh, with all the whole stuff about Sanon's palaces. Um, but yeah, I just love how Joe keeps going, like he's going out of his way after Marta to try and have sex with anyone that Michael expresses the vaguest interest in. And it's just such a, it just shows how terrible Job can be. I mean, even when he was with Marta, we saw him cheat on her at least three different times. So I just, I just find it funny that, like, that's kind of the the, the emphasis that Job, like, the way Job's going to take revenge is kind of so weird. Because by take, but taking revenge in this way says that having sex with him is some kind of, I don't know, punishment. It just seems weird. <laughs> Seems like a weird way to do it. On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, uh, episode 15, it will be talking about staff infection um, with Chris Barrett and uh, Malcolm Nygaard. Uh, and we'll find out that the uh, the employees of the Bluth Company are easily led around, much like a herd of sheep. Sarah, do you have anything that you wish to plug at this time? Um, you can follow my blog at uprightladies.com. Upright, uh, spelled like writing, uprightladies.com. And Andrew, do you have anything you wish to promote? Uh, yeah, you can listen to my podcast talking about Turtle, your one-stop shop for Entourage Schlop. Uh, we're currently working on that season's finale, so uh, stay tuned for that. It's a double episode. And obviously, thanks very much for listening. Thanks to both of you for joining me for this episode. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And otherwise... Goodbye. Goodbye.